0: Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. My friends, again, you're here. Thank you. I really do love that you listen, and you come back week after week. It means so much to me. Keeps me motivated. I feel the pressure every week to make sure I have something recorded to give to you guys to enjoy. My heart continues to ache for the people in Pakistan who are suffering from the great deluge. Watching these videos, it really puts into perspective how the ancients could see this as worldwide. Science has done the math and even with all of the ice melted everywhere, the entire earth would not be underwater. So, A worldwide water world would not be possible with the amount of water that this planet has. Still, the people of Pakistan do not have a place to call home. To them, it might as well have been a worldwide flood. Stay safe, and know that the West is with you. This episode focuses on Plato and his dialogues. He was pushing an agenda, and we need to understand his motivations to understand the Cretias and Timaeus. My thought started with the precursor to the Olympic Games, and ended with a very brief overview of Plato's other dialogues. I know that I need to get into more detail at another point, and I probably will. Just to point out that there are major universities who detail Plato's works, and none really agree with each other. That is the point of philosophy, right? Throughout writing this, I found a little new rabbit hole that I went down, and I'll spend the next week exploring it. I sometimes feel like I won't catch all of the meanings the first go around, so I'll read it through until it hits me just the right way. Sometimes I have new information, and when I revisit an old idea, it sparks something new. I am excited, I have become pen pals with one of my favorite retired professors of Greek mythology. I get to ask my multi-loaded questions about mythology and I get to trade with my multi-loaded answers in computer science. It's hard to decide which I love more, the future or the past. One thing is for certain, I'm not too interested in the present, as always. My sources are in the episode description. If you are interested in reading about the the Cretias and Timaeus yourself, I've linked it as well. Quite a few episodes back, I went into detail about the Olympic Games, but there is a much older tradition to which the Olympics drew from. They were called the Pan-Athenic Games. There were also other funerary games, and they all offered a way for athletes to display their prowess in their chosen sport. Most were also religious festivals as well. The Panathenia are the ancient religious festivals in Athens. The Athenians went to procession to the Acropolis, then sacrificed a thousand oxen and gave offerings, including a richly embroidered cloth to the goddess Athena in the Parthenon temple. In the 6th century, athletic and musical contests were added to this festival. Probably under the influence of the rising popularity of top games such as the Olympics, the Panathenaia became one of the most important games outside the periods with the international competition. The program consisted of different parts. It started with musical events like kithera and flute playing. In modern Greek, the word kithera has come to mean guitar. Next, followed the Olympic events like running and combat sports and horse races. The final part consisted of traditional sports for Athenians only. Example, torch race between villages, a boat race. Javelin throwing towards a target from horseback, traditional dancing, and etc. The victors of the Panathenia were richly rewarded. The athletes with a first or second place received a large Panathenic amphorias, which are a type of container with a pointed bottom and dual handles, with a depiction of the event and filled with almost 40 liters of first class olive oil. The number of amphorias depended on the event, the age category, and the place obtained. A boy, who obtained second place in the pentathlon, received only six amphoras, but a young man who was first in the pancreation received sixty. The largest number of amphoras were for winners in the horse races. For musical competitions, there were money prizes. A victory in some of the traditional sports was rewarded with a cow. Most of the amphorias recovered during archaeological excavations date from around the 6th to 4th century BCE. In the course of the Hellenistic period, a prize consisting of hundreds or thousands of liters of olive oil became too inconvenient for the traveling competitors. The victors continued to be awarded with one symbolic amphoria though. The most important part of this episode that happened during the Panathenia was the Rhapsodic Contest. Kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody had origin in Greeks. Reciters called Rhapsodies, which literally mean Stitchers of Song, competed at public festivals in the resuscitation of epic poetry. In particular, the Homeric poems and other poems belonging to the epic cycle. They performed without musical accompaniment, and prizes were unknown. According to the pseudo-Platonic dialogue called Archaos, Hippocus, a son of the tyrant Pisistratus and brother of Hippias, who succeeded his father as a tyrant, was the first who brought the poems of Homer to Athens and compelled Rhapsodies to go through them in order, each taking up the cue as they do now. This statement suggests that before Hipparcharius established this rule, Rhapsodies recited only isolated in sections from Homer, like funeral games for Patroclus, the embassy, the ransom of Hector's body, and other favorite scenes from the epic cycle. It is believed that the Homeric text used by the Rhapsodies are ancestors of the Homeric poems that we have inherited. It was during the Panathenic games that Plato debuted the screenplays, the Critias and the Timaeus. Plato was actually never a character in any of his screenplays. He always portrayed his teacher. Socrates dude Socrates didn't believe in writing anything down, so any of Socrates' actual works is gone. Think of Plato as like a director to a movie. Directors are rarely shown in their own movies unless they're like cameos. In the first play that was presumably displayed on day one of the Panathenia had four main characters: Critias. Hermiocrites, Timaeus, and Socrates. To make everything so much more confusing, there were two people named Critias. Critias I was an ancient Athenian political figure and an author born in Athens in the year 460 BCE. This would roughly be 100 years before Plato wrote about it and died in the year 403 BCE. Critias was the son of Kalluskris and first cousin of Plato's mother, Perectione. He became a leading and violent member of the Thirty Tyrants. He was also an associate of Socrates, a fact that did not endear Socrates to the Athenian public. Critias first gave an account of his ancestry, which was later recorded in Plato's Timaeus. Critias I's great-grandfather was named Drapedes, and was an intimate friend of Solon. Drapedes' son, who was also named Critias, which I'll call Critias II, was the grandfather and namesake of the author Critias. Critias I appears as a character in Plato's dialogues called the Charmides and the and according to Diogenes' It was Plato's great-uncle. The Critias character in Plato's dialogues, Timaeus and Critias, is often identified as the son of Callicrates, but not by Plato. Given the old age of Critias in the two dialogues, he may be the grandfather of the son of Calacrasus. Hermiocrates was born in the 5th century BCE and died in 407 BCE, and he was an ancient Seracrucian general during the Athenian-Sicilian expedition in the midst of the Peloponnesian War. The first historical reference to Hermiocrates comes from Thucydides, where he appears at the Congress of Gala in 204 BCE, giving a speech demanding the Sicilian Greeks stop their quarreling and unite against the Athenians, who had been attacking the Sicilian cities for supporting Corinth. Homeocrates is also mentioned by Xenophon, Plutarch, and Polynesus. Homeocrates appears as a character in the novel Carius and Caleroe, written by the ancient Greek author Cariton. In the novel, he appears as the father of Caleroe, one of the main characters in the story. Timaeus is less concrete and is believed to be a fictional character made up by Plato. He appears as a philosopher of the Pythagorean school. If there ever existed a historical Timaeus of Locri, he would have lived in the 5th century BCE. But his historicity is dubious since he only appears as a literary figure in Plato. All other ancient sources are either based on Plato or are all fictional accounts. Timaeus appears as a wealthy aristocrat from Greek colony of Locroi that's present day in Calabaria, who had served in high offices in his native town before coming to Athens. He appears competent in all areas of ancient philosophy, especially natural philosophy and astronomy. Socrates was born in the year 470 BCE and died in 399 BCE. He was a Greek philosopher, from Athens and died by ingesting hemlock after being found guilty by trial for two charges. The charges were impiety against the pantheon of Athens and corruption of the youth of the city-state. The accusers cited two impious acts by Socrates, failing to acknowledge the gods that the city acknowledges, and introducing new deities. He is credited As the founder of Western philosophy and among the first moral philosophers of ethical tradition of thought, Socrates authored no texts, and is known mainly through posthumous accounts of classical writers, particularly his students Plato and Xenophon. These accounts are written as dialogues in which Socrates and his interlocutors examine a subject in the style of question and answer. They gave rise to the Socratic dialogue literary genre. Plato wrote the screenplay Critias in the year 360 BCE and the characters depicted are from 50 to 100 years in the past. Fifteen years before Plato wrote Critias, he wrote another more famous screenplay called The Republic. The Republic was about justice, the order and the character of a just city-state, and the just man. Plato's last screenplay was called The Laws. The conversation depicted in the work's twelve books begin with the question of who is given the credit for establishing a civilization's laws. Its musings on the ethics of government and law have established it as a classical political philosophy alongside Plato's more widely read republic. Scholars generally agree that Plato wrote this dialogue as an older man, having failed in his effort to guide the rule of the tyrant Dionysus I Syracuse, instead having been thrown in prison. These events are alluded to in the seventh letter. The text is noteworthy, as Plato, only undisputed dialogue not to feature Socrates. The Athenian stranger, who resembles Socrates but whose name is never mentioned, joins the two other in a religious pilgrimage from Knossos to the cave of Zeus, and that's in Crete by the Minoan temple. Knossos is the name of the palace where Minos' palace is situated. The entire dialogue takes place during this journey, which mimics the action of Minos, said by the Cretans to have made their ancient laws. Minos walked this path every nine years in order to receive instruction from Zeus on lawgiving. Is also said to be the longest day of the year, allowing for the densely packed 12 chapters. By the end of the third book, one of the characters announced that he has, in fact, been given the responsibility of creating the laws for a new Cretan colony, and that he would like the Athenian stranger's assistance. The rest of the dialogue proceeds with three old men, walking towards the cave, and making laws for this new city, which is called the city of the Maganides, or Magnesia. So as you can see, Plato's primary focus was writing screenplays that question the perfect city-state. The screenplays for Critias and Timaeus are dialogues written in between two other plays, which are the same topic of a perfect society. It's also worth noting that Plato is attributed as being the first to create screenplays that depict dialogues between people, and there are entire lectures online from reputable universities about how the New Testament of the Bible was a platonic knockoff. The Republic ponders the questions, what is a just government and what is a just person? In the dialogue, Socrates discusses the meaning of justice and whether the just man is happier than the unjust man with various Athenians and foreigners. They consider the nature of existing regimes and then proposes a series of different hypothetical cities in comparison. They also discuss the theory of forms, the immortality of the soul, and the role of the philosopher of poetry in society. The dialogue setting seems to be during the Peloponnesian War. One character says that justice is, quote, the art which gives good to friends and evil to enemies. Another argues, quote, justice is nothing else than the interest of the stronger. Socrates overturns their definitions and says that it is to one's advantage to be just and disadvantage to be unjust. As the two continue to argue about the meaning of justice, Socrates tells the story of Gyges, who, with the help of a ring that turns him invisible, achieves great advantages for himself committing injustices. It's very Tolkien-esque, isn't it? Anyway, the story ponders whether a rational, intelligent person, who has no need to fear negative consequences for committing an injustice, would nevertheless act justly. To shorten this just a bit, Plato suggests that the perfect society would have overt communism. The inhabitants would not own property. Both male and female guardians ought to receive the same education. Human reproduction ought to be regulated by the state. And all offspring should be ignorant of their actual biological parents. And the land should be ruled by philosopher kings. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each your own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today? Hero, let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9pm. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you, it's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode.